Did I do that? There it is. Good morning again. Welcome to Hope. I'm Pastor Tom. It is good to have you with us as we worship God today. Let's see. Several things going on around here you should probably know about. Um, We have uh, several small groups that are meeting uh, right now. Um, But I'm jumping around. Let me get back to my script. Um, You can always find out what's going on by going to our website, clicking through. You can find each other at the member portal or the online portal. Um, You can request a login. We will get you one. And once you have your email address and your cell phone number into our system, you will receive our text updates, our email updates, et cetera, on things that are going on. Um, Sometimes those are helpful. Hopefully they're not uh, obnoxious, but, you know, we're just trying to communicate. Um, Then, let's see. You can also also access previous messages through our website. You can go to the sermons button tab, and you can, like, if if you missed part of a series, you can always go back and catch what you missed. Um, Then, let's see. We have some small groups that I was telling you about. I forgot to mention this. If you are visiting with us today, or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to fill them out on this piece of paper. Um, You always make my week, Esther, when I get your note after the service. I come in on Monday, and there's a message from Esther, a prayer request, or just a, you know, hello, or whatever. So, uh, thank you. Um, Let's see. Small groups, we have a Tuesday night reboot for anyone. And reboot is a 12-week program for folks who are wanting to kind of engage God and his word in the context of their recovery from trauma, any aspect thereof. Um, Could be anything, really. And that group is open to all, and it's Tuesday nights beginning at 6. We'll feed you dinner, and then you will come and be part of that group and that process. And I think this is the last week you can jump in if you want to on Tuesdays. Then on Saturdays, we have a combat reboot. That is for uh, military veterans, active duty Uh, Anyone who served in in the armed forces is welcome to our Saturday morning reboot. Um, That is more focused on traumas that are related to combat and military service. I think one of our Marines in the crowd has said that uh, just just boot camp, just Camp Lejeune constitutes trauma that you could qualify to go to reboot. So uh, is that accurate, Corporal? Yes? All right. Very good. Um, not to mention that they had you drink the water while you were there. That's a whole other, yeah, cheers. Um, so, uh, okay. Then, uh, what else? Oh, this isn't very important. We just have a chili cook-off next Sunday. That's all. So, if you would like to vie to have your name on the coveted Hope Church Chili Champion apron, here it is. Um, whole variety. Look at that. Jeff Kale puts this glitter 
logo on his, uh, and then we've got all these other, what is that? Team quarantine, okay. <laughs> Juliana Lester embroidered that. Um, we have a Zach True, I think there's a Wesley True on here somewhere. Jen Townsend, I don't know. There's, there's Tom's on, Tom Masterson's on here twice. It's the only name I see on here twice is Tom. So, uh, I mean, just because it ends up in my office and I have time to just doodle on it doesn't mean anything. Um, but this is the coveted Chili Champ apron. Um, so, yeah, we'll just fold that back up. It's going back on my wall, so don't worry about it. Uh, we currently We currently have... Uh, eight entries into this year's chili cook-off. Uh, there's room for four more, and there's still plenty of room for you to sign up. Go to our website and click on the chili cook-off button, and it will eventually send you to a sign-up genius, and you can bring helpful things like cheese or sour cream or cornbread or what? What? Rolades, a fire extinguisher, anything, you know. Um, but uh, that will happen next Sunday after church. We'll just, we'll go from here down the hall, and everyone will get an egg carton that will be numbered from 1 to 12, so we can handle up to 12 entries. You'll get an egg carton, and then it will have samples of each of the entries in the egg carton. There'll be a ballot on top probably, theoretically, uh, and then you'll circle the number of the chili that you think should win. Um, so you'll circle the number of my chili, and then you'll submit the ballot for counting. Uh, I claim Russian interference last year. Wesley True came in first. I came in second. I think it was rigged. I just, um, <coughs> but uh, sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, that's it that's, we're having the chili cook off a week from today so please sign up to bring something even if you uh, don't want to suffer the humiliation of losing to me again that's not funny okay um, I have been uh, defeated by minors on multiple occasions I'm not sure what's going on there but Collusion. Um, did I miss anything? Announcement wise? The 21st? Oh, thank you, John. Uh, so, by popular request, our Tuesday night Zoom Bible study will resume. Ha 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 ha. Ha ha. See what I did there? Uh, on Tuesday, February 21st at 7 p.m., so you'll have a chance to have dinner and then sit down, uh, maybe with a glass of wine, John, because your doctor said you're supposed to do that, right? Oh, if, well, 5 o'clock is, 5 o'clock counts. That's, there you go. Um, yeah, I was, we were early in the pandemic, and uh, we were doing the Tuesday night Zoom Bible study, and John sits down in front of his computer and sets this glass of wine down right in the view of the camera. And I'm like, I am doing this wrong. I am just doing this wrong. So uh, 
anyway, funny things you see on Zoom, we'll just leave it at that for now. Uh, but uh, that's Tuesday at 7, and that will be ongoing for a little while. We're going to use a, um, a, a material, a curriculum that's put out by an organization called Navigators, and uh, they have kind of identified some of the key scriptures in the Bible, and we're um, going to mostly just kind of discuss those key central scriptures and how they relate to life um, if you want to engage further you can do that on your own time and then come back the following week and show off but uh, that'll be the current iteration of our Tuesday night zoom will be through that navigators material I don't think you don't need to buy the material do you John no so we're gonna we're gonna just use it but you don't have to like buy it or anything yes quick comment Okay. And and how how old are you now? Seventy four year old John Dunn, when he was nineteen in the Air Force, uh, went through the this same material and took you can you can just like read it and study it or you can you can also add to that like memorizing it kind of taking it to heart, and he just said how valuable that was to him throughout the rest of his 65-some-odd uh, years um, that uh, those scriptures have just been recurring in his mind and his heart throughout life and just how valuable that's been. So, uh, It's okay to memorize it in the King James. That's, that's, a, that's an allowable, um, yeah. And I mean, if you if you read it in the King James and you understand it, then you understand God's word. That's the way that works. But uh, all right, what else? Well, that's my favorite part of the service. Did you think I was going to forget? I might have. I'm just you know, I'm I'm old. I forget things. That's how it works. All right. Why don't we have all of the important people come down to the front at this time. If you are in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for our children's chat at this time. What you got? Daddy. What? Daddy. Go Chiefs. Gotcha. Hmm. I wonder where she got that from. So who are the Chiefs? Who is that? It's a football team? Okay. That's it? Just a football team? Yeah, it's not like the Texans or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. I was, I was really disappointed when the Texans won the last game of the season and took themselves out of the first round, the first draft pick, first round, first pick, and they just bumped themselves to second by winning a game. Like, really, guys? You can't lose when it counts? Anyway. Um, all right. How are y'all doing? All right. So what is wisdom? Any guesses? What is it? 
It's a drink. Somebody look that up for me. I need to know the ingredients of that. It's what? It's good knowledge from God. All right. Is it just knowledge? Or is it more than just knowledge? More than just knowledge. And so how do you get wisdom? You can get knowledge from a teacher or a book. How do you get wisdom? If you wanted water, what would you do? If you wanted water, what would you do? Get it from a lake. Yep, plenty of water in a lake. Get it from the refrigerator. From the ocean. Plenty of water in the ocean. Don't drink the water from the ocean. Probably a bad idea to drink it. It's sandy and salty, and it's got things living in it. Yeah, ew. Okay. So if you want wisdom, if you want water, you go to a lake, a river, an ocean, or a faucet. Well, there's water there, but you can't drink it. But if you want wisdom, where do you go? If you want wisdom, where do you go? To the lake? I mean, it's not a bad idea. What? To Jesus, how did you know that the answer to the question at the children's chat would be Jesus? This is always the answer. All right. So listen to this. Listen to this. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So the beginning of wisdom is what? Where do you go? You go to Jesus, right? How... Like, if you go to Jesus and you say, give me wisdom, will you suddenly be the wisest person in the world? No. What does it take to gain wisdom? It takes time and experience. So maybe, just maybe, since your parents have had more time on this earth and more experience in life, maybe, maybe they have more wisdom than you do at this stage of your life. But as you grow and you come to Jesus and you come back to Jesus again and again, guess what? Over time, you will become more wise. You will gain wisdom. You come to Jesus. Are you going to be perfect? No. But does God love you anyway? Yes. And so as you make mistakes and you come back to Jesus, you learn, you grow, you become more wise. And if you need some wisdom in the meantime, ask someone who's been around longer, has more experience, 
and maybe they have some wisdom. What's that? It's a Packers jersey. I don't think they play for a few more Sundays yet. But you can still love them. All right. Let's, let's say a prayer, and we'll ask God for some wisdom. Dear God, thank you for the gift of your son and your word and this life. And help us as we move through this life to grow in our relationship with Jesus and to gain wisdom from knowing him. Help us when we make mistakes to come back to Jesus to learn from our mistakes, to grow as men and women of God, to become the people that you created us to be. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit and lead us to be wise. We pray your blessing on these children as they study more of your word and hope for kids today. Fill them, grow them, bless them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Y'all have a great time in Hope for Kids. Have fun. snuck a go chiefs into the children's chat that was very good it's very good all right will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for god's word this morning god our loving father uh, we come before you and ask as we open your word that you would open our hearts that you would speak to us today through the presence and power of your holy spirit uh, that we might leave here changed as the result of having met you through your word today. Lord, as we prepare to do that, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that, might, that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins and our disappointments, and we thank you for the forgiveness and mercy that are ours in Jesus Christ. We lift to you the relationships in our lives that are strained, we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures. And we just pray that you would pour out your healing mercies upon them. We lift before you our nation and its leaders at every level of government elected and appointed. We pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. And Lord, we lift up our men and women in uniform who serve to protect and defend the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans. We pray that you would be with those, especially with those who are in harm's way. We ask that you would bring them home safely. We lift before you those who've returned home from their service changed as a result of the sacrifices they've made. And we pray that you would use us, your church, to minister your healing to them, mind, body, and soul. And Lord, we lift your church before you this morning. We think of all the voices around the world that are uh, praising you today. We pray that your word would go forth through your people and that it would not return to you empty. We lift to you those churches that, to whom we are connected through our denomination and through our missions giving. And we pray your blessing over those works. We lift up what you are doing uh, in Guatemala and Laredo, 
in Kamahuani, Cuba, in Havana, Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East through the missionaries that we support. And we lift up the ongoing church planting efforts that we are connected to here in Texas, in New Braunfels, in Austin, and in Dallas. And we just pray your blessing over those young works. And we ask that you would be with us now as we open your word, open our hearts. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are in the midst of a series of messages right now called Crystallized. We are taking a look at the Old Testament and some of the bigger uh, themes that we find in the Old Testament. We're trying to sort of boil those down to some of their more simple components. And so this series is very... uh, thematic and kind of overarching, and we're leading into a series that will begin the first Sunday in March, which will be a celebration of, uh, well, it'll be a series that, that looks at the celebrations of festivals in the Bible. So we will take a look at each of the Old Testament festivals and the occasions that are, t- that are to be celebrated, and I think that this series will be helpful to setting up that series, if you may, if you follow me at all. So we're looking at the big themes that will later be brought out and celebrated in the various festivals of Judaism. And as we do that, we come uh, today, we've looked at previous themes have included um, creation, and then the crisis of sin, and then this idea of the covenant that God establishes between himself and his people. And then that was all sort of looking at the book of Genesis, and then the rest of the Torah, the other four of the first five books of the Bible. We looked at these ideas of the law and deliverance, the idea of atonement, and and God's love for his children. Um, Then... Last week, we looked at this idea of covenant faithfulness, that God is always faithful to fulfill his promises. He calls us to faithfulness, but he also recognizes that we will not uh, perfectly fulfill that calling. And so we are to look to him, to his Messiah, to his son, uh, who did perfectly fulfill the law. He is the completion of God's covenant faithfulness to us. He fulfills the promises of God in the Old Testament and establishes for us a way to be reconnected to our creator. Today, I want to look at this Old Testament idea of wisdom. And there are three Old Testament books that take up the subject of wisdom. They are Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. These are the the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And it sort of begs the question as we begin, what is wisdom? What is this thing that we are looking into? What is this thematic idea? Um, And uh, so what is wisdom? I think that we would typically associate wisdom with knowledge, 
right? Like if you're wise, you, you've accumulated some knowledge. But I can also point you to people in this world who are really, really well-educated and are also, I don't know, complete idiots. Is that fair, unfair, right? We've all met that class of person, right? So knowledge and wisdom are not necessarily the same thing. Hopefully, they, they go together to a certain extent. Um, but I could also point you to people in my life who were not particularly knowledgeable, but impressively wise in their approach to life. They had their priorities right. Um, they maybe did not have the opportunities for education and the accumulation of knowledge, but they were tuned in to what matters, and they were wise. And so what I would like us to do is just sort of look at these different books, these three different books of Scripture, from the vantage point of what they tell us about wisdom, about what it is, how it is found, how it is cultivated, um, and what it, what it means. So I'm going to begin in the book of Job. And there is a really disturbing conversation at the beginning of the book of Job that sort of casts the tone for the rest of the book. And the conversation is between God, the holy God, and the evil one. And in the course of conversation, God says to the evil one, Have you considered my servant Job? He is a righteous man. Job then proceeds at the hands of evil, which is in the Old Testament, the word for evil is the same word as calamity, just disaster. Um, and so Job enters into a period of his life that is just a complete calamity, a complete disaster. Um, he loses his children. He loses all of his livestock, so he loses his job, his livelihood. Um, he loses even his health. And in a bizarre turn of events, he, he loses in, to a degree his relationship even with his wife, who is so bewildered by the amount of calamity that has befallen her family that she at one point looks at Job and says, why, why don't you just get this over with? Why don't you just curse God? He obviously doesn't like you. Why don't you just curse God and die? Um, maybe not the best advice um, to give, but you can sort of understand from her perspective, like she has lost literally everything that mattered to her, and here is her husband no longer able to do anything um, laying there sick and just in the wake of total disaster. And in her grief, she says this to him, and he is in a state of total loss. That is where the book of Job sort of begins. And then Job has three friends that show up to comfort him, and they do a great job for about, I don't know, two or three days. And then they start to talk. 
and they say things like, you obviously did something evil to bring all this evil upon yourself. And one of the great things about the book of Job being in the Bible is that it, it removes both ends of this question. Like, if you do the right thing, will God bless you in ways that will he make you richer and better and make your life easier? And I think that's a very tempting view in American Christianity, that if you do the right things, God will make your life easier, better, whatever, right? Um, and the book of Job answers that question with a resounding no. That's not how it works. Um, God said Job is a righteous man, and yet total calamity befell him. The other end of that is, do bad things happen because we sin. Well, bad things happen because we live in a fallen, broken world that was broken by sin. But in most cases, things that befall us, calamities that befall us, are not the direct result of a sin or some series of sins. And that's actually good news. Like, whatever calamity you're facing in all likelihood, is not the result of some decision that you made. Sin does have consequences, don't misunderstand me, and we can, um, we can suffer those consequences when we make bad decisions. But in general, I'm talking about things like hurricanes and tornadoes or cancer or something like that. They just happen because this is a fallen, broken world. Sin wrecked the world, and bad things happen because of that. Not because of your sin in particular. Um, and again, there are exceptions to that. Like, we make a bad decision, it has a consequence. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the big sets of calamities that beset all humanity. So let's go into some excerpts from the book of Job where we will see that wisdom can emerge from even the darkest of human circumstances. In the midst of suffering and loss, we gain perspective on what matters most in life. So I'm going to sort of, uh, I've already summarized the beginning of the book of Job, and I'm just going to jump to chapter 19. And here's Job expressing the degree of where he is left in the wake of all this calamity. He says, and he's speaking about God in Job 19.10, He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. And my hope has he pulled up like a tree. If you have never felt this way in your life, um, consider yourself either blessed or really young. Um, I, I think we all, at some point, to some degree, get to the point where we look up and say, God, what, what, what are you doing? Why? Why me? Why this? Why now? Why all this calamity? What's going on? And I think it is natural, as Job expresses, to, to feel at times 
as if God is out to get me. He's not, but it will feel that way at times. And Job expresses that, and I think that's important that this is in our scriptures, that feeling of what in the world? Why? Why, why? And then later in chapter 19, Job, in the midst of his suffering and despair and loss and anguish, in the wake of all the calamity that has befallen his life, he says these words, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. This powerful articulation of grief and hope, of pain, suffering, and at the same time, the light of that which lies beyond. Job, somehow, in the wake of all the calamity, sees past it all to the one thing that transcends this this life, to the hope that he has a redeemer, a God who is ultimately on his side, even though, he feels at times like God is out to get him. So another little verse from the book of Job, that this is sort of conclusive in the sense that this is sort of summarizing the message of the book. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. And so let's just take this little glimpse at the book of Job and why it's there and what it tells us. That first of all, that we can find wisdom in the midst of suffering. And, And I might even say it this way, that suffering is one of the ways that, that God somehow works in the midst of it. God doesn't cause our suffering. Our suffering is caused by evil, by the forces of evil in this world. And God somehow moves into our hearts, our lives, our presence in the wake of that suffering and brings clarity. And that is one of the ways in which wisdom is gained in life. And you can see it in people who've been through calamities. They have a more mature perspective on the world around them, usually. <laughs> usually. Um, somehow, brokenness brings perspective to the human experience. Um, you know, I think of myself when I was in high school, you would not have liked me. Just a typical, prideful, full of himself, selfish jock who thought he was God's gift to the world. 
That's all. Yeah. Um, life has a way of reshaping those priorities. And after one has experienced the calamities of life, perspective is gained. God wants us to be able to fully articulate our pain, our suffering, our problems. Job does this powerfully in, uh, throughout the book, actually. Um, he does an amazing job of just honestly laying out before his friends, his wife, his creator, what he feels. It's impressive. And so here we have this example of this call to honesty, to just tell God what we think, what we feel, what we are experiencing. And at the same time, to look past our problems. So what I'm, let me just try to be clear. When you're suffering calamity in life, you don't deny it, you don't suppress it, you don't say that's no big deal. You face it and you are honest about what it is. You express the pain. And then in the same breath as Job does, you look past the calamity to what lies beyond, to that which transcends, to that which is greater than this life or the calamity that besets us in this life. That, quite simply, is your living Redeemer. That is the what, the to what we are to look when we look past our problems. Brokenness brings perspective and loss makes hope shine brighter. It doesn't diminish the power and the devastation of the loss. But at that point where we look up and we look past, we see something again that we thought we might have thought we would never see. The light of hope the love of a living Redeemer. We are to look to that hope, to the hope of our living Redeemer in the wake of loss. And again, I'm not saying you deny the loss or you minimize it or you don't face it. You do. But in it and from it, you look up, you look beyond, and you lay claim to that which is greater, which is hopeful. You and I are to revere our loving creator. Hebrew is a funny language, not funny ha-ha, funny weird. And um, <clears throat> so when it says you are to fear the Lord, it, it uses a word that is also at times translated as to revere, to sort of stand in awe, to be stopped. And so I just want to clarify, the, the Bible is not saying you should be afraid of God. 
in the sense that fear is an abstract concept for us that, that has a single singular aspect. What this word is trying to convey in Hebrew is truly reverence, like jaw-dropping reverence, that you stop and go, whoa, whoa. That's the fear of the Lord that the Scripture is calling out of us. That's the fear of the Lord that Job ends this, this work, this opus of his in, is God actually comes to him and says, hey, who are you to question me? And you think I'm out to get you? No, I love you. But keep in mind, like everything you see those oceans, I filled them. Those mountains, I built them. The air you breathe came from me. All of it. Life, joy, all of it. All the good is from my heart to yours. And so, Job teaches us that wisdom can be found through suffering. And I want us to move for a moment over to the book of Proverbs and sort of look at this work as a whole. And the book of Proverbs is, is actually an attempt by a, a father, and, and some mothers are involved as well, in trying to gather wisdom and instruction for their son. And so as you look at this book, wisdom, at one point in, in the book of Proverbs, like from chapters 3 through 9, wisdom is portrayed as a woman. Why? Why would God portray wisdom as a woman? Well, I'll, I'll try to tell you. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Think of, think of the best teacher you had in grade school. Kindergarten through 12th grade. Did you have one? You got a name? Uh, mine were all women. My great teachers were all women. And I think that's what God wants you to think of when, you, when he portrays wisdom as a, as a woman who is also a teacher. There was something about those classes that that went well beyond the subject matter. Uh, one of my teachers that I think of, Denise Nygaard was her name, is her name, um, and she was a math teacher, and I had her in sixth grade. I loved math. I won't tell you the name of my eighth grade teacher, but I didn't love math after that. Um, but... Mrs. Nygaard, Miss Nygaard was unbelievably creative and passionate and intelligent, articulate, and she just had a way of making you want to learn. I had another teacher in high school. Uh, her name was Theo, which interestingly translates to God, um, but uh, uh, Van Winkle was her last name. She was tough. 
but she was really, really good at making you see things that you didn't know were there. She was an English teacher. And just for some reason, she saw through my jock veneer that I had a brain. And she was going to bring it out. I didn't want her to. I didn't like English class. Um, but here we are, right? And Theo Van Winkle was brilliant. And she, she won me over. I, I was just like whatever she wanted me to learn, wanted me to read, I would read it. And with joy. Because I knew there was something there that I wouldn't see if she wasn't there to bring it out. And so God portrays wisdom as this great woman who's your teacher, who's there to bring out the best in you. And that's where we begin. It is important to understand that wisdom is not some disembodied set of facts, intellectual truths that can be found by studying. That's knowledge. You can accumulate knowledge ad infinitum, as much as you want, just go, right? That's not wisdom. Wisdom is relational. Wisdom comes through other people, through human contact or contact with the divine. Wisdom is relational. That's the message of the book of Proverbs. It is something that can only be found by placing yourself in right relationship with God, coming under his authority, and being in a healthy, growing relationship with him. Wisdom is also shown in this book as to be an attribute of God that pre-exists creation. We'll talk about that in a moment. Let's start in Proverbs 1.7. This is where the author of the book of Proverbs sort of casts what he's saying in, its, in his opening words and he says this the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom if you will fools despise wisdom and instruction with leaving you with the implication that someone who's not a fool should love it so then from proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 8 trust in the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And then in Proverbs 8, verses 22 through 23, this is in the midst of the portion of Proverbs where wisdom is portrayed as this incredible woman who's your teacher. And this is her speaking, so it's wisdom personified, and she is speaking, and she says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. So the book of Proverbs, the basic message is this, that we, we find wisdom in right relationship with God. Job teaches us we can find wisdom in the midst of suffering. Proverbs teaches us 
that the way to find wisdom is to be in right relationship with God, to be connected to your creator. This means we are to get into the right posture with God, and we talked about this before. This word for fear is really, it's a, it's a reverence. It's a jaw-dropping reverence. It's a stopping before God and acknowledging who he is and who we are not. We are called to love him with all of our heart. In other words, you could put it this way. Knowledge is up here. Wisdom is in here. It's in our heart. This is where God cultivates our life experience, our growth, our character, our wisdom. By being at work in our heart. We are to love him with all of our heart, and we are to cultivate humility and reverence in our life. I kind of wish that Theo Van Winkle and Denise Nygaard could just hear me say that, that we are to cultivate humility and reverence in our lives, and they would just be like, wow, there is a God. Right, um, I think about where I was at that stage and, and all that God has done since then. And I'm in awe. I'm in awe that he even cares about me, much less that he, he loves me. And he wants to grow me into something closer and closer to his reflection of love and grace in this world. We are to get into the right posture with God and we are to reflect God's nature. This is this whole um, portion of Proverbs where the, the woman is personifying wisdom. She is your teacher. She's incredible. Um, where is God going with that? It's quite simple, actually. She tells us in her words in the book of Proverbs that she pre-exists creation. So I want you to think about that. And you, you, hear, me, you hear me reference this periodically, but Albert Einstein, E equals MC squared, right? The theory of relativity. That everything that exists that has Mass, energy, exists in time, takes up space, etc., has a starting point. That's what Einstein's theory tells us, that there was a point at which none of this existed. What pre-exists that is God. So, therefore, wisdom is an attribute of God. Wisdom existed as a part of who God is, just like love existed before creation, before there was ever energy or matter or anything, time or anything that took up space or had mass, there was love, there was wisdom, there was God. And so here we are, and we are called to reflect in real time, in real space, 
we are to reflect this attribute of who God is. To cultivate the humility and the reverence to gain wisdom and to demonstrate it in this world, to reflect God's nature. We are to know that wisdom is part of who God is, and we are to cultivate it and put it to use, to make the people around us better, stronger, more confident, to make the world around us better. Wisdom, true wisdom, can only be found in right relationship with God. That's the message of the book of Proverbs. Now it's going to get weird because we're going to the book of Ecclesiastes. But again, it's just as important as the book of Job in defining the limits of our understanding. The book of Ecclesiastes um, basically talks about everything that is created, everything that is part of this experience of, of life on this planet is vapor. That's the word it uses. It's vapor. It will, it will disappear. But that there are things that last forever. And so that is where we access wisdom. Let's just look at a few verses from Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1, verse 14, the teacher says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. If you have never felt this way, you are either very blessed or very young. That life is meaningless. If, if you don't believe that this is a prevailing feeling in the world, just, I don't know, open your news feed, right? There's insanity out there. And the world seems to have come to the conclusion that there is no meaning. And the author of the book of Ecclesiastes is basically calling it as he sees it and saying, at times, life will present itself as completely meaningless. What should happen to good people happens to bad people. And what should happen to bad people happens to good people. And it doesn't make any sense. And what he's saying is everything that happens under the sun will evaporate at some point. But that, which doesn't come from E equals MC squared, that which transcends, that which pre-exists, that is where you find meaning and purpose and value and wisdom. Ecclesiastes 3 11 through 13, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And then Ecclesiastes 12, towards the conclusion of the book. The end of the matter, all has been heard. 
fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, whether with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that we can find wisdom even when life feels or seems meaningless. That wisdom can be found in that which transcends this life. We must look beyond that which is under the sun. We must look beyond creation to find the creator. Because everything here is fading. So, I'm not going to say this very many times because I'm not a big fan of the guy. But Karl Marx was right about one thing. Religion is the opiate of the masses. If you are talking about the human construct of religious activity, there is no meaning there. It it is trying to assign meaning. But if you're only talking about what humans can convey to other humans, who's in charge? Who gets to determine what truth is? And then whoever that is then has control over others. Religion is the opiate of the masses. Um, Religion is not your hope. Your hope lies beyond what is created. Your hope lies in a relationship with a living redeemer, with one who never dies, who never fades, who never fails. Religion cannot bring true meaning. It's just another thing under the sun that will evaporate at some point. So, you know, Karl Marx, religion is the opiate of the masses. Groucho Marx, everyone must believe in something. I believe I'll have another beer. I think that's a better quote, way better quote. Thank you, Groucho. Um, not the Marx brothers. They were, they were two different centuries. So, anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to go into my Groucho impression. I'm not going to do it. Double dog dare me? Here's the point that the book of Ecclesiastes is trying to make, that our faith can bring true meaning. Faith in that which transcends, and not only that which lies beyond, but that which has come down to this earth in human form, the God who became man who lived our experience, who knows how meaningless this life can feel, who knows what it's like for calamity to beset this life. The one who became God with us. There we have hope. We have a faith that can access that which transcends, which is greater than anything under this sun. We are to look beyond this life 
to find wisdom, and we are to look to the only one who can fill our heart. I don't know who said every heart has a God-shaped void. Um, Anybody know where that came from? I don't know. I don't remember. But it's really true, and it's right here in the book of Ecclesiastes. God has set eternity in the heart of man. We are made to be connected to something that transcends this life. And we are to enjoy the life that he gave us. So, what do you see in the world when religious leaders are obsessed with their people conforming to their standards of behavior. It's not pretty. What God wants from us is to look up, look beyond this life, but at the same time to be able to go, wow, This earth is beautiful. These people around me are incredible. Life is good, or it can be, it should be. He wants it to be. And he wants us to be the people who spread that joy, that life, that light to others. That we are to enjoy the life he gave us while looking beyond just the circumstances of this life. We're to enjoy that life, and we're to glorify God with the life he gave us. To enjoy and glorify. So not to take ourselves too seriously or to be obsessed with each other's behaviors, but to enjoy the life that God has given us. To live it, to express his love, his kindness, to show others what God looks like. We can find wisdom in the wake of suffering. We can only find wisdom in right relationship with our creator. But because of that, we can find wisdom even in the face of meaninglessness in this world. Our God transcends this life. He connects us by faith to that which is greater to that which is light and love and hope eternal. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your word, and we confess we don't even know what wisdom really is, except that we know you, the source of love, of wisdom, of salvation, of joy eternal. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lead us to live in such a way that we are not only wise, but that we are full of the joy of life that you want for us. That we show the people around us what love looks like, what your nature and character are like, lived out in real time and real space. Lord, we thank you that you have grown us, connected us, 
to that which lies beyond so that in this life we might express your love to those around us. Be with us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.